Two weeks ago, we talked about God's motivation of love. We talked about how God is love and how he is, his, his motivation uh, for all that he has done throughout the ages has been love. And um, there's a great misunderstanding about that because in God there is judgment. In God there is correction. In God there is discipline. In God there is uh, there was some pretty dramatic judgment, actually, that took place. But what we don't always attribute to that, uh, we, think, we think very sad when someone's life ends. You think about the uh, children of Israel and how, at times, thousands, due to judgment, would die in a day, and those kinds of things. And you think about that, and, and from our worldview... We see that uh, extremely derogatory and extremely difficult uh, to understand. How can a God of love let this happen or that happen? We see it nowadays in our culture. How can God, who says he is love, allow uh, floods to come and allow tornadoes to come and allow you know, things that happen in the earth to happen such bad things happen to good people all the time. Well, Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. And God's perspective on life is, get this little window of time. The only point in your existence where you will be um, probably subject to the clock the only time in, in your eternal existence that you will worry about time is the 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years if you're extremely blessed with good health that you will spend on the earth. God thinks outside of time. So whenever our life ends on the earth, as much as we're supposed to choose life and love life and appreciate life, when that does happen in what we estimate as human beings to be premature, God does not think that way. Because for him, it did not end. It just transitioned. So when we move out of this, I, I oh, if I could get an eternal perspective in each of your hearts, you wouldn't grieve the same when your loved ones pass. You wouldn't feel the same about your life on earth and, and the shortness of the time. I'm getting, uh, the older I get, the faster it seems to go, huh, Charles? Charles and I are about the same age. The older we get, the faster it seems to go. The clock's running and it's ticking. And, and I look at my young children and I know how, long, how old I'm going to be when they're grown. And I want to see them grow old and, and all the things, you know. that I, I, There's a part of me that um, looks at the patriarchs who live seven, eight, nine hundred years and they watch their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and their great-great-grandchildren come along and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but God does not think that way. So he can be a God of love, and all of those other attributes and characteristics of his personality can exist simultaneously because God does not have our worldview. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that he doesn't? So we talked about that God is love, and then we talked about Jesus' uh, motivation of love, and we looked at just a few scriptures about how Jesus was motivated by love uh, last week, and we talked about the uh, believer's motivation of love and how that we are supposed to be motivated by love. And uh, I think it's interesting when the Scripture talks 
And we'll refer to that a little bit tonight when the scripture talks in, in Corinthians about spiritual gifts. And then he says, however, I want to show you a more excellent way. There's a better way than getting the kingdom advanced with spiritual gifts. And in the mind of God, the better way is love. He said, I want to show you a more excellent way. If you have not love, none of that matters. So the believer is supposed to take to heart, we are supposed to take to heart that God is love, and then we are supposed to have love as our motivation for everything that we do in the kingdom and in life. I really would like to get to the place that we don't make that separation. You are kingdom people. The kingdom of God has come. So everything that you're doing is in the kingdom. Everything that you're doing is in the kingdom. It is in the kingdom. It is not his kingdom is coming. His kingdom is on its way. He came to establish the kingdom. So the kingdom has been established. We're a part of it. And everything that we do is in the kingdom. So anyway, that was the believer's motivation um, that we we looked at a little bit last week. And then now this week... What I was so excited about, because it is in conjunction and in concert with where Church of Living Water is uh, coming in its process, at least as I see it, uh, and, and as I believe the Lord is showing me, is that there ought to be, because we are motivated by love, there ought to be a response. If you're motivated by love, love will produce the appropriate response to God and to the kingdom of God. So I want to give you some scriptures tonight. Are you ready? Um, Matthew 16, 24. You're going to love this one. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. Um, Then said Jesus to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So Jesus says, in order to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to um, look at what your plans and your desires and your wants and your, your will and your hopes and your dreams and all this kind of thing. And you have to look at, at it in light of what God is saying in your life and what God is doing in your life. And you've got to be able to make the sort. And there are just some things that we want to do that just aren't going to make the cut. Because we determine that, that, that life's too short and there's just some things that God would have us do that we need to get to. So if a man will come after me, there's going, God is going to allow there to be desires in you that you are not going to fulfill, that you are going to determine that it is better for you to follow after what God wants and set those things aside. Or Jesus would have never said, if you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. That's a, listen, that, I'm spitting at you. That's a deep, deeper, a a deeper level of understanding of that passage. If he's telling us that we must be ready to deny ourselves, then it must very well be that there are some things in our desire and some things in our want and some things in our flesh and some things in our, in our framework and our makeup and our characteristic and our personality and all of those things. There's going to come a day where we have to look at all of those things that make up who we think we are and we're going to say, okay, this fits with what I believe God wants me to do, but, but this over here doesn't. And we have to make the sort. 
and there's just some things in our life that's not going to make the cut. There's a whole lot of things in life I'd like to do, but I have this burning zeal and desire to do what God has assigned me to do. And so there are some things that I get to choose not to do as part of denying so that I can do what I'm supposed to do. Just discipline. Same, same thing if you're going to go to work. You've got to deny yourself to get up and go to work every day, right? I mean, it is the same discipline. So, anyway, Jesus said to his disciples, if you're going to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Um, and uh, the other thing he said in, in Mark eight thirty five, another one of my favorite passages of Scripture for the same reason, is for whosoever will save his, li- whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and for the gospels, the same shall save it. So the guy who's able to make the sort, or girl, the individual who's able to make the sort and say, you know, maybe there were some things in life that I would like to do, but I have all eternity. That's channel one. I have all eternity to do all the things I could imagine. Stuart, you're going to ski in eternity. There are going to be some beautiful mountains. Uh, All the things that we love and that we desire, we have all of eternity to attend to those things. And so if the day comes or the moment comes where we have to take some of those things, not skiing, and set them aside so that we can do its monitors, A and B on that channel. Thank you. If, if we um, set those things aside for the moment so that we can follow after what God has assigned and asked us to do and designed for us to do, Jesus says, if you lose your life, if you let things go for my sake, you're going to gain. But if you hold on to the stuff of the earth or to the stuff of this life for your own sake, in the end, you lose what you hold on to. I always picture this in, in my mind as though a, 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 person, a, a, a person who works with clay, you put a lump of clay in their hand, and in order for them to form that clay into what it needs to be, they have to lay it down, and they have to shape it, and they have to form it, and they have to work with it. But they cannot hold it in their hand and accomplish what needs to be done. But if they take that clay and they say like a little child would say, no, it's mine, and they begin to, to hold on to it, they lose it because it just squeezes right out through their fingers. And life is that way in the kingdom. If we take and we hold on tightly to what we desire or what we think or what our flesh cries out for, it's a loss. So Jesus said, Whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospel's sake, the same shall save it. Um, And uh, then uh, he says in John 14 and 15, if you love me, if you love me, so we're talking about love, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, obey me. If you love me, uh, do the things that I have told you to do. And I will pray to the Father. He'll give you a helper, the Holy Spirit. Uh, that he'll abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So, so um, Jesus says to them, he said to them, if you love me, keep my commandments or obey me. So 
I'm going to ask you something here. I want you to think about this for a minute. How, what are the ways that a believer expresses their love to God? We certainly do this by spending time with him. We do this by worship. But we think that, we tend to think in our Christian culture that worship is the highest form of expression of love to God. But according to what Jesus said, doing what he asks us to do, to obey See, praise is considered a sacrifice, something you don't always feel like doing. And then he goes to Saul when Saul disobeys him, and he says, Saul, didn't you realize that to obey is better than sacrifice? To do what I've called you and assigned you to do, to put your hand to the plow, and to that is the greatest expression of love to the Father that we could possibly have. So whenever God begins to lay assignments in our life and whenever the scripture lays assignments in our life and it gives us things to do. Now, you can become all about the work and miss the relationship. You can do that. But I believe in our Christian culture, we we said that for so long that we got overbalanced and where we become all about the relationship and we forget the assignment. And somewhere in the life of Christian in Christian living, we have to come back to the place where there is a balance between pursuing the relationship, which we must do. I'm going to be talking about that for the next few weeks. Um, pursuing the relationship, running hard after God, and doing the work of the kingdom that he assigned us to do. So let's look at um, believers' response. We've read at Church of Living Water so many times, I hesitate to read them again. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And, and um, then uh, Mark sixteen fifteen, he says, Unto them go into all the world and uh, preach the gospel to every creature and, and everybody in the kingdom. Not, not everyone in the kingdom thinks of themselves as the preacher of the gospel. But we are. And he says, go and and preach the gospel. That doesn't mean we all preach the same way. That doesn't mean we all administrate that gift the same way. But your life shares the story of your relationship with God and then how you articulate your relationship with him to your friends and your family and your coworkers and whomever crosses your path. And whoever God, I am a firm believer that we show God love by sharing the life of God with whoever he brings into the sphere of our influence in some way. Your life speaks to them in some way. I'm wondering, I've wondered at times over the course of my life, the individuals who came for a period of time into my sphere of influence that I didn't appropriately articulate faith to them and uh, the message of the gospel. And and sometimes that has troubled me. And, and of course, there's grace and, and mercy from the Lord, and he hasn't zapped me yet about it, but he has corrected me a couple times whenever I chickened out on some pretty bold things that he asked me to do uh, when I was younger. And uh, I felt hesitation and walked away. And later I heard the Holy Spirit say, don't do that again. Uh, Do you realize I brought that person across your path? I moved everything around so they would be right there. And you missed that grand opportunity. Now I'll get someone else to them. But I had them there for you. And... So there was a, a, a responsibility that came in obeying, and it really grieved me. And I, so I tried to commit to the Lord that I would uh, actually do that. Okay, then I just referred um, a few minutes ago, and I'll refer to this again. 
uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 31 says, covet earnestly spiritual gifts. Now listen, I don't want to do the work of the kingdom without the gifts of God in my life. How many want to do it on your own? Anybody? I don't see any hands go up. Nobody wants to do it on your own. Covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet, I show you a more excellent way. And that is to say that when you get in a situation where your gift is not, uh, or, or the gift that you think you might need is not maybe the one that's well honed in your life and, and up to par and everything, there's one thing you can always do without a doubt. Love. What this entire eight weeks has been about is that you, you can always, without a doubt, express the love of God and show the, the ten, t- tender loving mercies of, of Christ to someone uh, whether or not your spiritual gifts are matured within you. And if you're going to mature spiritual gifts, if you have to choose between maturing spiritual gifts and between just being a person who can love on people and express love to people, if you really have to choose, love. Let the spiritual gifts take care of themselves. Love. So, he says, I want to read uh, some of this because it bears reading. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Uh, we are supposed to be moved by love, not by gifts. We're supposed to use gifts, but our motivation is supposed to be love. So 1 Corinthians 13, uh, we'll read just a few first few verses. Uh, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and I do not have love, I have become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of mercy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and uh, have faith uh, so that I can remove mountains. Imagine that. You've got the faith to move a mountain and, and to literally destroy the roadblock in the lives of others. But if you don't have love, you'll make a mess of that. That's what Benjamin was talking about early in this series when he began to talk about the differing gifts within the lives of individuals and how they view, how their view of what needs to be done is, uh, is different for every person in the way that they administrate their gifts. That we're all different. And if you, have, if you do not have love established, I know for me and the prophetic if I did not, if I was not motivated by love, the prophetic can become very, very harsh, very quickly. You can just go rah, 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 and jump on some folks, and uh, under that anointing, because the prophetic, the anointing when it comes, it comes, in, it comes in a rush, and it's it's forceful in its nature. It's like a waterfall. We should go do that. It's like a waterfall. It's like a, a, a opening, you know, shake up a soda and then open it. And that's how it comes. And if, it does, if that's not tempered with love, you will knock somebody down with the prophetic. And, and it's really hard when you've been knocked down with that to get back up. And so he says, even though you can move mountains, if you do not have love, you're nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, if I emptied my bank account to feed the poor, if I gave my body to be burned, that's a guy who uh, is martyred for the faith. If I totally became a martyr for this gospel and I don't have love, 
It profits me nothing. It doesn't produce fruit. See, the profit is the fruit that comes out of the life of the believer. So if you're not motivated by love, you won't, the, the fruit that is produced will not be wholesome and enriching fruit. It will, you, you've seen the coals and the, and the fruit that is cast before its time and, and, and is useless. It be, the fruit then is useless if it's not motivated by love. So um, charity suffers long, uh, or love suffers long and is kind. Uh, love does not envy. This starts talking about character traits for us. Love uh, does not puff itself up. Uh, love does not behave unseemingly. Love does not seek its own or its own way. Love is not easily provoked. Love does not think evil. Oh, my God. I think I'll stop right there for just a moment. Love does not think evil. Because believers, I think everybody does this, but believers have a way of pondering circumstances. We're searching and seeking to understand. And when somebody says something, we're seeking to understand what they said. And sometimes we're easily injured by somebody says something and we didn't, we didn't take that right or we misunderstood it or maybe they meant it and it wasn't very nice. And, and we get all caught up in what goes on upstairs between the ears regarding what someone said or did or didn't do or, or misunderstanding what their motive was or whatever. And it says, love does not assume or think evil. That means if we really love one another, we just assume the best of that individual. When they, when they snapped at us or they were short with us, we just immediately assume the best. I had that happen the other day. I don't know. One of the folks said, uh, I said something and, and somebody got their feelings hurt and somebody else called me and said, you know, you, when you said that, it hurt such and such individual's feelings. And I said, well, I certainly didn't intend to hurt their feelings and I'll call and apologize if you'd like me to. And they said, no, I think uh, we'll just pray this one through because uh, they don't know you know that you hurt, you know you know those situations they don't know that you know that you hurt their feelings but but they just need to kind of get through that or whatever and i begin to pray about that and i just when i prayed for the individual and i said lord i didn't mean to hurt their feelings certainly and i was speaking in jest and and foolish words didn't profit anything and i'm sorry and i just kind of repented for it and went on thought no more about it but the holy spirit says to me you know when that happened he spoke specifically to me about the individual and said when that happened they were going through a really difficult physical situation and did not feel well and because they did not feel well they did not receive it in the spirit in which it was given and so shake it off and when they felt better it was all over and it was nothing it was a nothing moment that the enemy tried to take and bring harm and injury. And, uh, but love does not think evil. Uh, Rejoice is not in iniquity. Love doesn't get excited when other people get hurt. <laughs> you guys are thinking about the last person that stumbled and you're like, oh, they deserved it. Huh? Oh, love uh, does not rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in truth. 
Love does not, in other words, uh, another inference there is love doesn't rejoice in falsehoods. Uh, Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. I've had the good fortune of working with two men of God for extended periods of time, and I watched them be able to walk in forgiveness, people that hurt them just terribly, and it always amazed me. Just totally amazed me. Love, verse 8, never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. That doesn't mean that everything works out right every time, but love never fails. So when you love someone and they don't receive it, it's still enriching you. When you love someone and they receive it, there's restoration and and healing that comes to whatever the circumstance is. But if you love and they don't receive it, it still produces good for you, good in you. And eventually, hopefully, they will receive it. Love never fails. And then it starts talking about the spiritual gifts where there's prophecies they fail, where uh, uh, we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away with. And, and he goes on there uh, and uh, says that right now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we'll know even as we are known. Now abides faith, hope, and love. And even in that, the greatest of these is love. Love is greater. Love, oh, this will get some of y'all with that faith thing going. Love's greater than faith. Love, faith is not our motivation. Hope is not our motivation. Although it's wonderful to have hope, and I don't like to be hopeless. But love is the greatest. Praise the Lord. Okay. So then Jesus said, I want to, so we are um, to obey the the Lord. If we love the Lord, we will be uh, motivated to do what he teaches us and shows us. And then we will move by the spirit, which we read in, in 1 Corinthians 12. And then we will be motivated by love. Uh, and then uh, the other uh, response of the believer that should be uh, in place is that of doing the will of the Father. And Jesus gave us the example, and I'll just get back to that for a minute, or just get to that for a minute. John four thirty four. Jesus said to them, My meat, the thing that strengthens me. Jesus said, the thing that strengthened him. I want you to get this. This thing that strengthened him, my meat, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. The Bible talks about there being a rest for the people of God. I am, I am wholeheartedly convinced that of all of the things of ministry, the stuff of ministry that there is to do, uh, for instance, uh, the, you know, in, in my assignment there's taking kind of taking care of overseeing this complex and all of those things those things make me so tired i could preach for days and teach the word and encourage the brethren and do the the things that that are of my assignment but when i have to get over in the things that are not particularly my assignment they just kind of fall to me those things make me tired when you are in the 
vein, the channel of exactly what God has called you to do, that will strengthen you. Burnout does not come to believers who are doing exactly what God assigned them to do. And I'll tell you why I believe that. I'll give you an example just in the natural. An engine that is created, that has all the right parts and everything is in working order, those parts are rubbing together and, and moving together at, at you know, all these RPMs, and those things will run for years and 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 never wear out if they are appropriately maintenanced, appropriately taken care of, appropriately fed what they're supposed to be fed, and appropriately given the, the things that they are supposed to be given to function. They just told a story the other day of a lady who bought a Dodge Dart for $3,300, and she drove it all of her life, and she's 94 years old, and she's selling it for $44,000 because she's just driven this Dodge Dart and taken care of it since 1960-whatever. It has... Three, four hundred thousand miles on it. The reason is that all the components were taken care of the way that they're supposed to be taken care of, and the machine was only used for what it was designed to be used for. But you let that machine get out of its place and out of its purpose, and you put too much weight on it, things it's not supposed to carry. How long will it last? You buy a little truck and you tow a big trailer with it when it's not designed to tow that load? Well, you start throwing on believers things that, that, that are not their assignment. And then they're carrying a load they're not designed to carry. And when you give someone a load they're not designed to carry, then you create burnout. Then you create frustration. Now, there's great things that we all have to do. The Bible says, whatever you find to do, do it with all your might. Do everything as unto the Lord. You're always going to do some things that are not your favorite thing to do. But the things of the kingdom of God that you are assigned to that bring you passion, those things don't wear you out. Those things are not what wear you out. It's those things that get laid upon you that should be distributed more appropriately within the body and among the family and all of that kind of stuff in your home, in your life, the things that get laid upon you in your workplace that are not your gifting and your strength and your ability. Take someone who's not an administrator, put them in an administrative position and require them to work there and see how long they last. Not long. So Jesus said, my meat the thing that drives my life, the thing that strengthens me, the thing that nourishes me. When you say my meat, you're saying what nourishes me? Jesus said, my nourishment is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. That nourishes me, that strengthens me. And I find that to be true of believers. If we can find uh, the passion that God deposited in us, the thing that we are good at, the thing that we are called to, the thing that we are challenged by the Holy Spirit to move toward, the thing that causes zeal to rise within us, if we'll pour ourselves into that in the body and be a joint that supplies from that perspective, that's why uh, years ago you... Uh, 
you have, I had Sunday school teachers that I was growing up with that their passion was teaching, loving and teaching children to know Jesus, and they taught until they couldn't see the curriculum anymore because they had a passion to cause those little ones to walk with God. And that was what lit their fire. It became meat to them. So what I challenge you to do in maturing in Jesus, that doing the will of the Father for whatever that, however that is designed in your life, there is a place in the body of Christ, there's a place in this house for that, for that to be drawn out and for that to be released, and that won't make you tired, that won't wear you out, and that won't burn you out. All the other things in your life, washing the car might burn you out, and all the other things that you, that you, you know, should, I was pushing the mower the other day. I don't mow the lawn very much, but I was pushing the mower last night and or yesterday evening. It was a beautiful day, and I thought, I'm going to go outside and enjoy the sun and push the mower. And as I was pushing the mower, I said, thank you, Lord, that I don't have to do this all the time because this is not my joy. It's wonderful, you know, once in a while to do it. I was picking up. Listen, I was, Laura had went around the pool, and she had trimmed up some of the bushes, and she had said, while you're out there, would you mind picking up the little trimmings that I missed uh, in the flower beds out there? And I'm out there picking up the trimmings that Laura uh, had trimmed her little bushes and shaped them the way she wanted them, and I'm picking up the leaves. And I'm thinking as I'm picking up the leaves, when I was growing up, this was punishment. My mom had plants, my dad had a garden, and when we got in trouble, it was get out in that garden and do this. Get out there and trim those bushes. And this was punishment. And I was just joyfully picking it, thinking, I'm glad this isn't my constant assignment in life. Because I certainly wouldn't do this very long. Couldn't do this as a living, certainly. And wouldn't do it very often or very long, sufficiently. And it would tear me up. It's not my joy. My father, if he could spend his whole days with his hands in the earth, it spoke life to him. And it was, it was awesome. So, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. I would challenge some of y'all who are younger in here that you find the work in life that strengthens you. And make a living doing that. Figure out what that is and do that. Because the worst thing in the world is go to work every day to something you hate just so that it can produce a check so that you can make a living. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do the will of the Father. Do what he designed you to do. And then Jesus put a little reminder out. And this is just kind of for our own understanding. And I'm going to close with this. When you do the will of the Father, not everybody's going to receive it. Whatever that is. Not everybody's going to like what you have to say. If, you're, if you're, your thing is vocal gift, it's like I, I've literally had people stand up in services where I was preaching. Not here, thank God. Uh, and uh, front me on what I was saying from the Word of God. Um, it took place, and I had that happen in an adult class that I was teaching, and there was, in that class, there was about 45, 50 people, and this guy stood up right about here, I was up, in, up here, and I'm just going at it how I do, you know, and getting excited about the Word of God, and he stood up and he said, that's not right. And I said, why is that not right? Show me why that, well, I can't tell you. Why that isn't right, but that's not right. And in his worldview, he just couldn't get his head around whatever the subject was of the day. I don't remember even what it was. 
but not everyone will receive you or receive the truth as it is expressed out of your life. Some, some folks are going to reject it. Some folks are just going to tell you you got addicted to Jesus. You just traded addiction. Some folks are going to tell you that they don't want to hear it. They're going to tell you they don't want to hear it. Jesus said, Luke 10, 16, He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So our meat, our encouragement, our strength is to do the will of the Father. And if we love him, we will proceed in maturing in spiritual gifts and in maturing in our calling and maturing in our walk with God. We're going to find out what that is or what, what that may be a varied group of things, I don't know. But we're going to find out where that zeal lies, where that passion is. And we're going to put our hand into that. And then we're not going to worry about who receives it. Remember, some, the scripture says some water, some cultivate, some sow. But God brings the increase. God is not going to ask you how many people received what you said. But he is going to ask you if you said when he told you to say. If you moved in, in a motivation of love and did what he asked you to do, regardless of the outcome, I, I, I don't think God counts success the way we count success. Success to him is obedience, not outcome. Yeah. We don't like that in our culture where we measure everything. I was a bean counter, I know. I was one of those guys. I had to tell people what they couldn't afford to do any longer as I took their money and gave it to the government. God doesn't count success that way. When he looks at our life, he said, does, your, does the heart of love, does the heart that you have toward me motivate you into responding to me in following and in obeying I just want to challenge you tonight that the love of the Lord that is in us, the heart of love, the the correct expression of appreciation to the Father for what he did in us and uh, for us through Jesus, the correct response to him is, Lord, here I am, and however you've designed me and whatever you've deposited in me, I'd like to empty that out for you. I'd like to just throw it back into the kingdom and respond to you. So, there, so the, the love produces. We couldn't talk about love unless we talked about the fact that love produces a response. And um, you would, you would uh, not want to be in a marriage relationship where love did not produce a response. You wouldn't want to be in a parent-child relationship where love didn't produce a response. In fact, my wife tells our kids all the time, love... And relationship here is a two-way street. If you want to have as adults, if you want to have a relationship with your mom, when, when you're young and I'm taking care of you, yeah, the relationship's all one-sided. You're not having to invest. You're just getting. And the getting is good. But the day comes when you've got to invest back in that relationship for it to be rich and wholesome. And that relationship then becomes 
a give, a give and response or, or give and take essentially relationship. And that's what the Father is saying to us. I am fully invested in you. And the word says, how can we make a lesser, you know, how, how it is, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. So I believe that the Holy Spirit is looking for us out of love to enter into reasonable service. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the weeks that we've spent together. I thank you for the things that we've learned. I thank you for teaching that we had all the way back eight weeks ago to now that has produced an attention to love in the body, to love the love of the Father, the love for one another, and your love for the world. And out of that, I ask that the seeds of this study that have been planted in our life, that it would produce fruit. That it would bring forth fruit in its season. And that we would be the kind of people who can passionately respond to you and say, because you loved me and because I love you, here I am, send me, here I am, take who and what I am and use it for your glory, here I am, Let me be poured out in the earth and everything that you've deposited in me, let it be used for your good and for your glory in the earth. And we give you praise, Father. Do that in us and we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Some Bible study for a couple weeks.